Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of Judges by looking at Judges chapter 10. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read, beginning in verse 1. After Abimelech, there arose to save Israel Tola, son of Pua son of Dodo, a man of Issachar, who lived at Shamir in the hill country of Ephraim. And he judged Israel twenty-three years. Then he died and was buried at Shamir. After him arose Jair the Gileadite, who judged Israel twenty-two years. And he had thirty sons who rode on thirty donkeys, and they had thirty cities called Havath-Jair to this day, which is in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried at Kaman. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the Ammonites. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For eighteen years they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians? And from the Amorites, from the Ammonites, and from the Philistines, the Sidonians also, and the Amalekites, and the Maonites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I saved you out of their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord, and he became impatient over the misery of Israel. Then the Ammonites were called to arms, and they encamped in Gilead. And the people of Israel came together, and they encamped at Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. As we read this chapter, we see a group of people that are having a difficult time being satisfied with God. For whatever reason, serving the God that had brought them out of Egypt and had defeated all of their enemies to this point was no longer satisfying to them. They were looking at their neighbors and there were things that they had and were experiencing that they wanted. And so they turned their back on God and started following Baals and Ashtoreths and joining in the nations around them and the way that they live their lives. I know as we read this story, it's easy for us to be hard on those Israelites who should have known better than to worship a different God. 
that they should be satisfied with the God they had because he was the creator of the universe. He actually had power where the Baals and Ashtoreths that the Canaanites were worshiping had no power at all. But their lack of satisfaction with God shouldn't surprise us that much because very often we find ourselves in the same situation where we're very happy to have God as a part of our life and be connected to God in some way, but we often desire more. We would like to have God plus a lot of what the world has to offer. Scripture acknowledges our need for satisfaction, but it explains that that ultimately can come only from God. One verse that points this out is Psalm 145, starting in verse 15. The eyes of all look to you. You give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. Even though scripture says this, and many of our life experiences confirm it, we are often convinced that we can find satisfaction on our own. We think we can identify things that will satisfy us even more than God alone. Often we look for satisfaction in hobbies, relationships, jobs, possessions, and as we seek to have those things satisfy us, we allow a mindset to take foothold in our lives that becomes more and more aggressive until it consumes us. We start making decisions based on those searches for satisfaction rather than accepting God as sovereign and living life the way that he's called us to. And we see the same thing going on in the story that we read today. Look back at Judges chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. It says, They crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year, and then for 18 years they oppressed all of the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. Israel thought that they would find some type of satisfaction, something they thought was missing, they thought could be given to them by following the gods of these foreign nations. But all that happened is that they got entrenched and oppressed by the very thing that they were chasing after. Seeing that, I think we have to ask ourselves, will the things that we put first in our lives ever truly give us satisfaction? When we think about our darkest times, our our deepest struggles, will those things be the things that pull us out, that get us through? Scripture tells us that we will never be truly satisfied until we're satisfied with God. David wrote in Psalm 142, verse 5, I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. David's use of the word portion there harkens back to Israel's promise from God to receive an inheritance. This word portion here refers to the portion of the inheritance that you would receive when the time came. And David says that God is his portion. God is the thing that he's inherited. There are several of the psalmists that say that God is their portion and that's enough. It's when we try to replace God or add things to God that we actually end up being dissatisfied because all of those other things, as we chase after them, actually ensnare us 
and end up oppressing us rather than giving us the freedom that we have in God to have a full and complete satisfaction. Now, I think this story shows us some of the obstacles we have to finding satisfaction. The first thing we see in this story of Israel is that sin was an obstacle to their satisfaction. I think that becomes a, a object lesson for us as we're trying to find satisfaction in our own lives. God had become angry with Israel when they replaced him, and so he challenged them to get through their life without him. Remember, Israel said, God save us. And God said, you keep going to these other gods. Let those gods save you. God had already rescued them. God had already given them everything they needed. They should have been in a place where they were satisfied and could have been if they had wholly devoted themselves to the service of their God. But they found themselves looking around, comparing their circumstance to others, making bad choices based on what they saw that looked good to them, and giving in to the temptation to sin. And as they kept doing it over and over again, God says, if those are the gods you want to follow, then you need to let those gods be the one that rescue you. He knew that couldn't happen, and Israel knew it couldn't happen. The good news for them was that there was no sin that was too great for God to be unwilling to take them back. We're told here he could not stand to see them hurting. That should be good news to us, too, because as God's children, God doesn't want us to be hurting. He wants us to acknowledge that he is the source of healing and salvation and to follow him, but he does not want to see us hurting. So that leads us to another obstacle in finding satisfaction, and that's a failure to repent. There is no sin that is too big for God to cover and to cleanse, and, and, and there is no obstacle too great that would keep God from taking us back. But what we have to do for that to happen is to truly repent. Israel struggled with this for a little bit. They, they cried out to the Lord as they had done in, in the past. They begged God to forgive them, but the problem was they had not genuinely repented yet. It was the second time that they go to God after they had gotten rid of the foreign gods among them and started serving the Lord again that God rescued them. We see in this story, God is not interested in lip service. God is not interested in just saying that we want God to save us. He wants our works to be consistent with repentance. In Isaiah chapter 1, starting in verse 10, the prophet there writes, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moons and Sabbaths and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feast my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. 
wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Here we see that much later, Israel still hasn't learned the lessons that God was wanting to teach them. Isaiah comes along several hundred years later and is imploring the people of Israel to do the same thing that God wanted with the people of Israel during the time of the judges. Don't just call out my name. Don't just go through the motions. Don't just say you're a Christian and go to church every Sunday. Actually be the kind of person that God wants you to be. And in Isaiah, that's described as someone who stops doing evil, learns to do good, seeks justice and corrects oppression, brings justice to the fatherless and pleads the widow's cause. I think sometimes we get preoccupied with the way we're supposed to behave on Sundays and forget that what God has called us to is a completely different way of life. And when we're caught up in sin, we are called to repent. What God is looking for there is more than just an apology, but an actual change of course in your lifestyle. He wants you to give up the way you have been doing it because that didn't work and start doing it his way. One other verse that I'd like to read is Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. It says, With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before your God. You can see in the Isaiah passage and this Micah passage, it's not the religious ritual that God is interested in. He gives us those things. He wants us to participate in them, but he wants us to do it, not as an end unto itself, but to use those things as a vehicle that take us to a deeper relationship with him, that transform us in a way that make us the kind of person he wants us to be the kind of person who does justice, loves kindness, and walks humbly before God. Very often when we're not experiencing satisfaction in our lives, we may have acknowledged that part of that is sin, but satisfaction remains elusive because we've never truly repented. We know the sin is in the way, but we've not allowed God to take it out of our lives. We've not decided to change our course, to change our path, to change our way of doing things to what God wants. Maybe that level of trust in God then becomes a, another obstacle to our satisfaction. Maybe it's a lack of faith. Because even in this story, as it ends, and God has promised to deliver them, we find ourselves in the last verse with the people saying, who is going to start the fight? Whoever it is will be the head over the inhabitants of Gilead. If you listen to the previous episode, you know that part of their issue was that they were busy trying to find a person to follow rather than following God. Here, they're still looking for that person that will help them. God is great. Our God is better than the other gods, but we still need something else. We need a person to step up as well. A man does step up 
in the next chapter. And as his story unfolds, we'll see that he's not an ideal hero. But even as all of Israel is struggling with how to interact with God and put their full faith in him and to find their satisfaction in him, this faithful God of these broken people will use a man named Jephthah to deliver them. When we look at our lives and we're dissatisfied, we strive for satisfaction and peace in our lives, and and we're not sure if we'll ever achieve it. Is it because we're looking to someone other than God to rescue us? Are we looking to ourselves? Are we looking to other people or circumstances? Are we looking to something other than God? Or worse yet, are we looking for something in addition to God? What Scripture calls us to is a satisfaction that we can find only in God when we come to realize that He is our only hope. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.